and welcome to The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong. Before we get to the show, let's get the pleasantries out of the way. First of all, our website. If you want more information about our little podcast, go to wearethecontrarians.com. That's where you'll find links to our old episodes, to our Patreon channel, and to our awesome Contrarians merch. You can show your support by buying a Contrarians mug or a pillow. I like the laptop bags myself. Second of all, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. Or even go a step further and leave us a five-star review on whatever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. Finally, if you want to reach out directly to us, that's what social media is for. Find us on Twitter and Instagram at Contrarian Prime, or check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime. Julio runs our official Twitter account at Contrarian Prime, but if you want to give me a piece of your mind or just want to banter about pro wrestling, you can follow me at Contrarian Alex. That's it. That's our intro. Now, time for the show. This is And we are recording for Contrarian's Corner for Dawn of the Dead, 1978 version. Theatrical cut, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think the differential in the running times that you were mentioning, Julio, it looks like the Italian version, which it premiered first in Italy, and there might have been some stuff cut out of that, because that version was 119 minutes, and the one we watched today was 126. Because, you know, this was still pretty gruesome for the time considering you know halloween came out that year and that was viewed as like hyper violent there's barely any blood in that movie whereas here there's <laughs> a plenty bought it all yeah he siphoned it all from the from the game in hollywood so there's an extra 20 minutes of pizza in the italian version no no no. it's shorter so they must have cut out anything that they deem too violent or too offensive to italian audiences <laughs> oh okay well there's that longer version there's a longer one than theatrical you said you found on YouTube? Yeah, when I was... Uh, because this movie, uh, if you happen to own it, then kudos to you. Uh, you member of the audience that owns a copy of Dawn of the Dead 1978. Because uh, it's really hard to find uh, streaming or also available just to order as a piece of physical media. So you go to YouTube and you do a search, there's lots of different options. Uh, we went with what I'm assuming is the theatrical, the, the two hours and six minutes, seven minutes, right? Yeah. Um, but then there's one that's as long as two hours and 30-something minutes. That's the one where uh, <laughs> you, you follow them in the helicopter until they run out of fuel, I guess. Learn something <laughs> new every day. But uh, for our purposes here, we watched, we both watched this on YouTube, right? Yes. Yeah. The the theatrical version, the two hours and seven minutes is, as Julio mentioned, this one's kind of hard to track down. Snyder's version, they gave away with samples of Tide in the mail. But <laughs> All right. Dawn of the Dead, 1978. The patron takeover comes to an end. My name is Alex, joined as always by my co-host Julio and our never-ending quest down the path of the contrary. I guess in today's case, not flying or driving, just kind of stumbling along. Big time, big entry in the horror genre. We've done Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've done Halloween. We've done some big hitters in the past, and now we're adding another one to uh, official canon. Julio, why are we discussing this movie today? Well, Alex, we had one more participant here at the Patreon Takeover, and he decided that it was time for us to do a zombie movie. Have we done a zombie movie on the show? We're getting up there in years, so I... I was trying to think because I was like, I, I kind of feel like we've had a discussion about the, the what makes a zombie scary and whether they run or 
walk or stumble, as you said. Uh, but that might have been something that we just talked about off camera, <laughs> off recording. Can you think like off the top of your head of, of a zombie movie that we've done? We've done a lot of movies off the top of my head. No. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I know for sure. This is our first George Romero. Camille. Movie. Isn't Camille supposed to be dead? Yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's exactly what people think about when they think of uh, the zombie genre, which is the Sienna Miller and James Franco trying to make it work much like Flyboy and his pregnant girlfriend. So which of our wonderful patrons threw this our way? So Dawn of the Dead, 1978. It's coming courtesy of Stu. Stu from the Stu World Order podcast website, Media Empire. Uh, Stu, who joined us a while ago during the French Stravaganza for the Romeo Michel episode. Uh, Stu, one of the nicest people in podcasting, as I like to call him. Uh, he just served us up with a nasty, nasty movie full of gore and death and attempted criticisms uh, of American society. Not really what I think of when I think of Stu, but then I I had to remember that also I, I know Stu is infamous for being a big fan of Halloween 5. So that should just set the table. Yeah, that, that would draw infamy. Yeah. Stu thankfully has sent us a clip explaining his thought process behind this final pick in the patron takeover. So we have that to look forward to, even if first we have to talk about this movie. 93% Alex. Yeah, it's a monolith within a genre. 93% of Rotten Tomatoes, as you mentioned, it comes with that certified fresh IP right next to it, bright and shiny with a 90% audience score based on over 100,000 submissions. So let's get to it. But before we can get to the bloodletting, let's go ahead and explain what it is we do here on The Contrarians, uh, being that we're doing a movie of this magnitude. It's possible we could have some first-time listeners. So if this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. And what we do here on The Contrarians is rage against the Rotten Tomatoes machine. That is our battle cry. Find a movie on Rotten Tomatoes that is highly rated. Uh, as I mentioned, certified fresh. We uh, It helps if it has that logo next to it. It uh, kind of helps with our mission here. And what we'll do with these movies that are selected is make a case for maybe why they don't deserve that high rating. Maybe it's bad acting, bad storytelling, aspects of the film that have aged poorly, uh, lazy cinematography, bad score, bad soundtrack, whatever we need to reach out at, whatever straws we need to grasp at to make our case. Conversely, we'll find movies on Rotten Tomatoes that are lowly rated, usually about 30% and below, one of those nasty green splotches known as Rotten, and you guessed it, we'll make a case for that film's positive merit, acting, directing, storytelling, score, soundtrack, cultural impact, uh, quotability. Again, well, we, we do the work to make our case, and then we bring said case to you for you to make up your mind for yourself. We do this for two reasons. Number one, the Rotten Tomatoes system is... Not inherently flawed, but the perception of it sometimes is flawed. And, you know, honestly, you can't really rate a movie on a scale of 1 to 100. So Julio and myself took on the responsibility of making these cases for the world and society at large. And, of course, number two, art is subjective. Man, if you really set your mind to it, you can be as cynical and negative about something or as over the moon as you choose to be. So um, we do that. We make a, a gumbo, or in this case, what... Um, what do they eat? They eat olives at one point, prime rib. I can't remember. They do eat something that looks appetizing. I mean, they have a date where they 
I don't know if we see the food. We just see the setting. Well, we ravage the supplies and put together a pretty damn good looking meal. So everything I just explained comprises part one of each episode that we do. We call that Contrarian's Corner. Julio, if listeners want to know how we really feel about the movie we're discussing, in this case, George A. Romero's Dawn of the Dead from 1978, they just have to hang around to the second half, part two. That is correct. Part two of every episode, aptly titled Real Talk. That's where we tell you how we really feel. This is a first-time watch for me. I think you said it was a first time for you also, right, Alex? 20 minutes into it, like, I've seen this before, but only once, and it would have been, like, on TV years and years and years ago, probably when I was a teenager. So, for all intents and purposes, yes, this is a first-time viewing. Okay, still surprising, because I was, you being the, the horror aficionado that you are, I expect not big on zombie you. movies, man. Is that is that it? Okay, because I was no. like, I, I, to me... Most people that like the kind of movies that you like are pretty well versed on Romero just because the, the practical effects and just the, the, the status as classics of, of the genre. So I, I I was surprised and I'm looking forward to finding out if this was something that you that you enjoyed or something that maybe you arrived to uh, too late now, <laughs> having watched it almost as the first time. Uh, me, first time. For sure, uh, although I am familiar with the Zack Snyder remake. So in a way, you could say, like, I didn't need this because I already saw the superior version. Um, but if you want to find out how we really feel that happens in Real Talk, along with that clip from Stu where he also tells us what his connection is to this movie, if, he, if there's any, and whether he he likes it and gave it to us because he was hoping that we would also enjoy it, or if he doesn't like it and he was just hoping that uh, we would be tortured by this choice we'll, we'll find out about all that stuff in real talk but first this movie's 93% super fresh so we're gonna do Contrarian's Corner and we're gonna nitpick it to death and to undeath to death and then it'll rise again and then we'll take it back down again just <laughs> yes. a headshot <laughs> there's an awful lot of stuff down there that we could use I know it. It's a big place. But they're pretty spread out down there. I think we can outrun them. Ken Foree returning to the Contrarians after quite some time. He, of course, was a featured player, an MVP of sorts in our Haddonfield Knights series. I guess to begin with, the involvement of Dario Argento as far as like script supervisor and uh, doing some of the film editing I was unaware of. Um, he is on the uh, score for this along with Goblin, and our patrons know I saw Goblin perform the score to Suspiria Live. Uh, was that last year? So, relevant. It was released, it premiered in Italy on September 1st of 1978, uh, premiered in Japan on March 27th of 1979. The 126-minute cut that we are referencing finally premiered in English-speaking territories the United States on April 7th of 1979 at the USA Film Festival in Dallas, Texas, having been selected for the event by film critic Roger Ebert. What? <laughs> Roger Ebert. I thought he was a, a purveyor of good taste. <laughs> the following weekend, United Film Distribution opened the same cut in 17 Pittsburgh cinemas and continued with a wider rollout over the next month. The picture opened in New York City on April 20th and in Los Angeles on May 11th. What? A fucking time to be alive when this movie could have been out for months and months, you know, longer than six months from its premiere in Italy to the, to uh, its, I guess, quote, wide release in the United States. And 
No one uh, was any the wiser. It was the Titanic of its day. Budget of less than seven hundred thousand. Box office return of sixty six million. Uh, it was heralded upon its release, and its legacy has only grown since. So, Julio, I imagine you didn't have a hard time pulling any glowing quotes from the Rotten Tomatoes pool. I did not. There's there's a lot of fresh tomatoes, red tomatoes as red as the fake blood that's covering this movie from beginning to end. So let's start with uh, Rob Aldem from Backseat Mafia, who says, arguably the greatest zombie film ever made. That is a hell of a statement. High praise. Has he seen Maggie starring Arnold Schwarzenegger? Probably not. I don't think... Look, I haven't seen Maggie. I don't think many people saw that movie. (laughs) Yes. And I don't think that 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 movie moves in the same circles as uh, Rob Alden and uh, other Romero fans. But even then, I mean, I don't know. There's so many zombie movies. And not to get too into it right now, but also forget about just movies. There's so much zombie fiction that at this point, even saying that something is the greatest zombie film ever made. Yeah. Doesn't really mean much because it's like, all right, whatever. It's still not The Walking Dead. So, does it even matter? (laughs) Went there already. (laughs) All right, next. Jess Kamig from The Stranger, Seattle, Washington, says, What delights me about Dawn of the Dead is that over four decades later, the film still has genuine scares and gore. Genuine scares? Who who is afraid of this movie? Four decades later. Which adult is afraid of it? Did you find anything scary here? Was that Michael Stipe, the bald person at one point that was like chasing <laughs> after the woman? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It's still not scary. <laughs> Just curious. Man, I would love it if Michael Stipe turned out to be a big zombie fan. No, I, I take that back, Julia. I, I tell you what does scare me is how far society's fallen because of how important the mall was to society and people in general at the time. And just seeing how much community and uh, how better things used to be did really scare me. It is true. Like back then, the zombies would flock to the mall. Where would they flock now? The living room to turn Netflix on? Pretty much, yeah. Or their phones. I mean, I, I'm guilty of that too. I'm uh, that's the uh, AT&T store, the, the community where there's the zombie outbreak. Jeff's just on his phone like a zombie. Like ah, that's what they would do when they all show up at the mall. You know, the living are asking like, why are they here? It's like familiar to them. It's an important place. And it's like God, the mall. So that does scare me. Uh, All right, next, Rob Gonzalez from Rob's Movie Vault says, Romero, who was his own editor this time out, keeps the scenes clipped and purposeful. I think Rob watched a different cut, (laughs) an even shorter cut than the one we did, because I wouldn't say that there's anything clipped in, in this movie. I think that Romero, if anything, man, it makes so much sense that he's the editor, right? Like there was nobody to tell him, no, maybe you should like tighten things up. Instead, this is just, let's just keep going. Let's just do more. I just want to fit in every single special effect, every every gag that I can that has to do with zombies. I gave uh, Savini 75% of my budget. We need to make this work. <laughs> it's already, he already bought the blood. We took it from Carpenter. So now we need to put it to use. 
And then we get a close with Rob Humanick from Projection Booth, who says, Romero's framing of social ills via his rotten walking metaphors is ingenious, but it's the more subtle, unspoken statements that register with the greatest force. Alex, what is unspoken and subtle in this movie? I don't know. <laughs> Not a thing. It's almost like these two, these last two people, they watch a different version. Maybe they were talking about the Snyder cut, <laughs> the, the, the Snyder remake. It is Zack Snyder, but at least it has, it leaves some things unsaid. Here, the probably the most egregious moment, something that actually hurt me, was when uh, uh, Ken Forey does the line. You know what line I'm talking about. Like, you know, when hell is full, the dead will walk the earth. Beat. And then he explains it. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> he gives us the backstory of the tagline. Come on, man. All right. Well, those are the quotes. Alex, take us into Contreras Corner. Granddad was a priest in Trinidad. He used to tell us, when there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk the earth. It's a chaotic beginning here. The credits are weird, too. They're like television credits at the bottom of the screen, you know? Like, mm -hmm. movie credits are usually way more empowering. But like I mentioned a few minutes ago, uh, the surprise of Dario Argento's involvement in this started. I was like, hey, Goblin did the music. That's cool. Um, the United States is devastated by a mysterious plague that reanimates recently dead human beings as flesh-eating zombies. At the dawn of the crisis, it has been reported that millions of people have died and reanimated. Despite the government's best efforts, social order is collapsing. Rural communities and the National Guard have been effective in fighting the zombie hordes in open country, but the urban centers descend into chaos. Dude, the beginning of this movie is just fucking aggravating because no one is... Everyone's talking over everyone. You can't get like a clear indication of what's going on. And imagine you haven't seen Night of the Living Dead. Yep. You're lost. That's what I was thinking. I was like, is this supposed to be a direct continuation of Night of the Living Dead? Which, it's not like that movie gave us a whole lot of, uh, of information either, right? But, but no. there was, at least it kind of like established what you can expect when you run into one of these creatures. Uh, and back in the 70s, I mean, I guess that the, the idea of zombie lore was not what it what it is now now it's just you don't need to have seen anything you just you just absorb zombie knowledge just by by being a human being that's walking around in the 21st century but back then that was not as common and so for this movie to just throw you in there with no real uh guide not even a, like an opening scroll you know like Suddenly, Palpatine came back. Nothing. It's just this uh, newsroom that's in disarray and people arguing. And and you can't even tell who the main character is. Like, how long did it take you to realize that, oh, we're supposed to be following this blonde? You're absolutely right, because she's not even really the main character. This is Ken Foree's movie, and he's introduced after a whole lot of shit happens that just causes more <laughs> confusion. Yep. There's chaos <laughs> at this television station about what's going to be broadcast and what's not. And then it takes us to like a, an apartment complex or a, a project. And there's the National Guard and the SWAT team that's there to try to eliminate the threat. And uh, it's a definitely really racist cop. Yeah, it's a really racial situation because there's this white cop that's just excited to go in there and he's dropping all these epitaphs and uh, hurling slurs about, you know, the people he's going to be killing. And it's 
unbelievably gruesome because they go into this building. Well, first of all, these guys come out firing, so it's complete anarchy. But once they get into the building, they're killing zombies and non-zombies. They're you know, it's kill them all, let God sort them out. And this sequence, this is Tom Savini's opus. This is his rosebud. This is what they will show on the screen for his in memoriam when he passes at the Academy Awards. This is just <laughs> can't <you> wait. Know. <laughs> <laughs> he is one of the most famous, you know, makeup artists, if not the most famous in the history of the horror film genre. And this is just him coming into his own in front of us on screen. You know, we we hadn't had Maniac or Friday the 13th yet or any of those other ones that he had, you know, a lot of fame for. And here, man, he's just a, a kid in a candy store with a crisp $100 bill, just able to do whatever he wants. And that <laughs> but, part but of it... But at what cost, Alex? <laughs> well, thank you. I was about to say, from that angle, it's fun. But then you realize what's happening here, and it's terrifying. Because <laughs> who's not to say, if this really happened, they've just arm up all these military servicemen or cops and just say, shoot first, ask questions later. And th- it's not all malicious cops just wanting to kill people we also see and this keep in mind what we're explaining happens over the course of like five minutes so it's it's a (laughs) lot to digest uh one cop can't pull the trigger on a zombie and you know it's him or the zombie so he finally kills him but he's so overcome with like the guilt that he killed someone that he immediately puts the gun on himself and pulls the trigger there is no time to breathe during this entire sequence it's uh once again you kind of have a hard time figuring out who you're supposed to be following because again we still haven't seen Ken Free, so you just see a bunch of blonde cops and then the racist cop and you don't know who's going to make it out of here uh even having watched the Zack Snyder remake didn't help at all because I was like okay who's supposed to be Sarah Polly? like I thought maybe the blonde reporter from the beginning but then she's gone like, who is the cop I didn't see a a Ving Rhames it was it was very difficult to Certainly didn't see a Phil Dunphy. No, <laughs> that is that might be the biggest difference when it comes to these two movies. That there's no uh, there's no philosophy to guide us <laughs> once we get to the mall. Uh, it's yeah, it, it's chaotic, and I, I understand it, that it's it's fun, right? Like it, it, the audience comes for this for the for the the gore and the explosions, and and you kind of have to accept it. That uh, I guess that the, the you make that compromise with with the filmmakers. It's like, all right, we're going to act like it's okay <laughs> that there's this massacre of, uh, I guess, immigrants. We never know why there there's this raid happening because it's it doesn't seem to be about the zombies at first. It's more like they find the zombies as a byproduct of them having just entered this building and, and shot all these other people. But so it's like it's what you're saying. It's a horrifying thing, but it's also Romero and Savini are having so much fun. With the with the blood splatters and the, the heads exploding and and then once the zombies jump in like the, the zombies taking chunks out of people's flesh it's it's so weird I want to say that it crosses a line because it's you know you you have to hit that balance of like this is horrible but it's also fun and we're all okay with it but this movie goes a little too far maybe just because it shows us that we are the zombies Julio yes we yeah. are the bloodthirsty <laughs> ones at home watching this I think that there is not a moment when everything is done where somebody reflects on how fucked up it is. I, I mm-hmm. think that's the problem. You know, it's like there, the closest we come to a sobering moment is when, um, what's the name of our, our guy here? Not our guy, but <laughs> the guy that comes out of it. Uh, is it Roger? 
Uh, the blonde dude. Yeah, the blonde dude. Yeah. Uh, let's just go ahead and run down our cast here, our main characters, because th- there aren't many. Uh, we keep talking about Ken Faree, and I will most likely refer to him as Joe Grizzly throughout the 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 run of this episode. But Ken Faree is Peter Washington. He's um, one of the cops here, right? He's a police officer. <laughs> I guess he comes out of the shadows. There's the blonde guy that we're talking about here, Roger Trooper DeMarco, Scott uh, Reiniger. Uh, there's Francine, Fran Flygirl Parker, or one female. The blonde is Julio referred to her. Uh, Galen Ross, and then Stephen Flyboy Andrews, played by David Emge. They kind of just converge. Is there more? Did I miss it, or is there more to it than that, Julio? No, I, I guess they know each other. Uh, so the blonde reporter and the and the helicopter pilot, the, the Flyboy. I guess they work for the same TV station, and so and they're an item. They're they're a couple, and then they go to pick up Roger, the blonde cop. And so I guess they know each other from before. And then when they go pick him up, he's already met Ken Free. And he's like, "Hey, you're Ken Free. Why don't you join us?" <laughs> you're a big imposing dude with the that knows his way around guns. So we might need you around the zombie apocalypse. Um, and that's it. They they hop in a helicopter and and just go off. And th- this is what I was saying. You know, it's like, all right, we just spent ten minutes of just uh, this massacre of zombies and human beings, and the takeaway from it is not like God, this this was horrible, but it's more like, all right, let's let's move on. Let's go somewhere else. There's not a, a moment of reflection. You know, there's nothing mm-hmm. that. That would make us understand that that would get us all on the same page and be like, yes, this, you know, it was fun to watch, but also let's acknowledge that this is a really fucked up thing. It's it's just more of a, I don't know, I needed somebody to be the soul. Maybe you're right, you know, I just need Phil Dunphy. I need somebody that, these guys, did you like any of them? The, our, our quartet of protagonists? Did you ever feel like you could identify with any of them? Identify, no. I like Ken Foree. Uh, I do like his character. He seems to be the only one that, like, has any idea of the gravity of the situation that he's also not a fucking idiot like the other people in this so <laughs> I, I mean Roger's easily the dumbest one but you know the other ones too make some really boneheaded choices throughout it um, but yeah, obviously I can't relate to the situation and even if I could I would also be like man you guys aren't scared at all you don't need a minute to kind of like talk about things and realize that you're never going to see your family again <laughs> How soon is this after Night of the Living Dead? Have we really? Because on one hand, when you look at the the way the things are at that TV station at the beginning, people seem to be having still a hard time wrapping their heads around what's happening. There's a lot of contradicting information and all that. But then when you see them at this police raid that follows, they're being pretty matter of fact about the fact that there's that the undead are just part of the everyday life now. If we believe the events of night and dawn take place contemporaneously, then it would be separated by 10 years. What? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. One, uh, that is insane that there's like that. There was uh, 10 years of the world populated by zombies and and that 
the world looks the way it looks at the beginning of this movie. <laughs> maybe I they got it like maybe they got it in check a little bit and then got too complacent. Stop taking social distancing <laughs> seriously and it just erupted again. <laughs> they didn't get the boosters. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> okay, but more importantly, where where are you getting this number from? Did I miss it? They flash on a TV screen at some point? No, no, no. If like the movies came out and like the events of them are based in oh, the time like they were release released. Date? Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. That okay, so it's this is I mean, I like it, but this is like a hundred percent an Alex Mattis theory. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. I thought you were telling me that there was maybe the the two and a half hours cut, there's a moment where somebody it's mentions that it's been a decade since this whole shit started. Yeah, Ken Faree says it's been a decade since all this shit started, and that was cut from the. <laughs> that was too much. We joke if this shit really happened, there would still be people like if people were becoming zombies. Like, here, take this shot; it'll help you. Not even that. Let's let's take because it's so easy to say the jab. It's like here's this pill. It's going to ensure that you don't die after getting bit by one of these people, and then because of that, you're not reanimated. As a zombie, people would be like, no, I exercise. I don't need it. (laughs) I'm not kidding. They would think like they would get bit by a zombie and be like, you know, nope, I'll just prey on it. It'll be all right. Like, but don't you see like the zombie outbreaks that we're seeing on TV? Like, "Eh, Just wait till the election is over. (laughs) Magically clear up. It's funny. We see all this on TV because I've never met one zombie in my life. (laughs) Yeah, but but look, like they had to close the mall because yeah, yeah. But her emails, man. <laughs> uh, speaking of Trump's voters, uh, there is a shot of them on their getaway, flying away, and we kind of you know fly over the boonies, the backwoods, and we're seeing that zombies are pretty much used for target practice by uh, Jethro and the gang uh, out on the farm, which is kind of a funny sequence because that's obviously another thing that would absolutely happen uh, if this were to be a real scenario. Uh, Julio, help me out here. Why do they go to the mall? Uh, because that's where the movie needs to happen. <laughs> that's where the rest of the movie takes place. They, they go to this mall and Tiffany's not on the marquee. So I'm like, why the hell are they there? <laughs> I, I think, well, so it's not like they're planning to stay at the mall, right? They're just looking for supplies. And I think that it's a good place for, for the helicopter to land. It's not until they are actually in the mall that they realize, hey, it's not such a bad place to hang out at you know there's plenty of food mm-hmm. plenty of space we can actually fortify it and and also it means that we only have one location for the rest of the movie so we can save money that we can later <laughs> spend on uh, special effects <laughs> we blew all our money on that opening sequence we got to just have one shooting location for the rest of the movie <laughs> uh there's an arcade too that they do take advantage of at one point so it's a big mall it's uh, i mean there's areas there's there's a uh, an african themed store at some point like we're yeah, malls were very important. Were malls, well, we've talked about this before. Your upbringing was a little bit different due to some of the strife and uh, acts of terrorism in your country during the time you were growing up. But at any point in your time living in Peru, were malls a thing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It still are. I mean, you know, whenever I go back home, I, I go to the mall. I, I am part of that generation still. So I, I enjoy going to the mall. And oh, yeah. it's even better when there's 
not a zombie apocalypse happening because you can actually relax and just enjoy <laughs> yourself. <laughs> and if this is your first time listening and you're wondering what the fuck that we're talking about with Julio's childhood and whatnot, uh, Street Fighter, right? That's the episode where we talk about it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's amazing that you have it bookmarked in your head. <laughs> well, because that was such a cool story. That's like one of the things of like, you know, we're really good friends, but still from time to time on here, we learn stuff about each other. I remember listening to that and just being kind of spellbound by it. So wait, so, so you like malls too, Alex. Do you have like a favorite mall that you uh, that you think of fondly that, that you can imagine just kind of like bunking down on? Well, okay. So growing up, there was the Woodland Mall and the Southwick Mall in the area I lived in in Ohio. Southwick Mall, I remember the arcade. I remember exactly what it looked like. And it was across the concourse from the movie theater. And I remember going with my dad to that arcade playing like $5 worth of X-Men and $5 worth of WrestleFest. And then we went and saw Black Sheep. I think I told this story on our Black Sheep episode. So there you go. There's more homework for y'all to do. But um, there was that. And then there's the Woodland Mall. I, I don't remember where they were like relative to my house, but I remember exactly what they looked like walking through them. Like the Southwick Mall had like four entrances and they were kind of made like a, a cross. And in the middle, there was like a carousel that was surrounded by like tables and shit and, you know, flora and fauna like we see here in the mall and Dawn of the Dead. And, uh, you know, it's where there were tables where you could bring the food. And just watch the carousel. Watch the kids ride the carousel. <laughs> um, and then the Woodland Mall had an arcade, too, that I remember what it looked like. It wasn't as like big and loud and what you think of when you think of early 90s arcades, but... Uh, I have this memory of that arcade. I remember it plain as day. I was maybe eight or nine, but uh, it was the first weekend that arcade got the Mortal Kombat 2 cabinet, and there was a line of people <laughs> out the, the door of the arcade. And you, like, you could go in if you wanted to play something that wasn't Mortal Kombat 2, but the line was for that. And there was one guy that was just like killing everybody, and the line was just working through. Like what that. an asshole. Was it Ken Forey? <laughs> <laughs> it was uh roger but um <laughs> so i have thought of this scenario before though and it's kind of a mall but where you and i worked i always thought if the zombie apocalypse happened this would be a tremendous place to set up camp uh because remember all of the buildings who oh, from the theater keep in mind cuz uh -huh. we could get we could get to the rooftop from inside the theater and a lot of those buildings were all connected and you could get from the next building to the next one by roof and you know you could shut off the streets really easy getting in and getting out and uh, this is like a shopping center for those those of y'all who are wondering what we're talking about there was a dick sporting goods so we could get firearms there <laughs> and with all the restaurants and shit we weren't going to run out of food anytime soon and there was the barnes and noble so we could watch criterions i thought it was just be like <laughs> because in this situation <laughs> The theater, we would have only had at most 14 movies at the theater to watch, and we would have eventually gotten tired of those. So we would have had to go on down to Barnes & Noble and pick something up. Right. But don't you think that would be a pretty good place? You would need a team. You couldn't be alone because you would need people to be, you know, take shifts on surveillance, whatnot. But I think that'd be a pretty good place to go if there was a, a zombie apocalypse. And I can tell you this. If we could get the least competent people on our team, and we would still fare better than the people in this movie. <laughs> I think we have more common sense. I know we have the advantage of decades of, of zombie fiction experience, but still, like it's. I think that we would be okay. Um, 
I am glad that you and I share this this sort of uh, love for malls and for just what what malls bring to life, uh, because you're right. I mean, you you were kind of referenced it earlier that, that that might be something that's fallen by the wayside now. The, uh, today's people, today's generations, you know, they're maybe not as into going to the mall anymore. That's something that that is no longer hip. Um, but for somebody like you or me that has a nostalgic attachment to that that experience, the mall experience. This movie is a bit of a slap in the face. Did you feel that they were making fun of <laughs> our fondness for malls, the way that they depict the mall year and the way that they depict the zombies as people that are in the mall? Like, they're basically telling you, hey, this is you. Yeah, it, it's definitely like a you capitalist swine come back to the trough when your brain's dead, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could definitely see where you're coming from. The thing that was missing, though, is he really should have taken a shot at Hollywood and found some movie that was like of the time that he thought was just mindless that made a bunch of money and all the zombies go into the theater to watch it. I'm like, no, 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 like laughing at it. They're after us. They know we're still in here. They're after the place. They don't know why. They just remember. Remember that they want to be in here. I don't like these zombies, Alex. By the way, let's just let's talk about that right now. Uh, oh yeah, I we got to find shit to talk about because, like, at this point <laughs> in the movie, uh, it's just basically the same thing for the next hour and a half. Yes, the the rest of the movie is they settle in <laughs> to the mall. It's just it's just B roll of them hanging out at the mall until Tom Savini's gang shows up. You know, with twenty minutes to go in the movie. But but let's talk about the zombies because. This is not what I think of when I think of zombies. I understand yeah. that back in the 70s, this is this is what people were saying. I was like, well, here it is. These are the zombies. But uh, I am used to zombies that look nastier, that, that are a little more monstrous. Uh, these are just dudes painted blue. And, and, and the way that they move, it's just more like, they move like like people that are just waking up. <laughs> they don't move like like dead people that are reanimating, right? Um, they're not. They don't seem threatening in a way. You know, like this. It looks like it's pretty easy to go through them. It, there could be like twenty of these guys, and the only way they're gonna get you is if you literally stand still, which some of the people in this movie do. <laughs> but it, it's really not that hard to make your way through all these hordes. Um, and then perhaps the thing that that just bugs me the most is that they know how to do things and there's a lot of discussion in this movie like by the personalities that you see on tv that about how they're just uh instinct creatures right like they're not mm-hmm. really don't have a functioning brain but but they know how to like grab stuff maybe you know it's like they're not gonna shoot a gun but they know enough to grab a gun which goes against what i think of when i think of zombies did it bother you like didn't you feel like this was not really like they were not really zombies they were just like really dumb humans yeah and that also the snyder dawn of the dead that's kind of what it was noteworthy for right because the zombies like run and are really like aggressive in that in a way they typically aren't because we're used to just zombies and that's kind of what it came from here uh yeah they they definitely have more they have levels of ingenuity they don't know how to open a door but they can still figure out how to pick things up and operate them yeah that doesn't seem like a zombie to me that that kind of like takes away the 
the horror of a zombie is just that it's a monster, not that it's a human that can do less things than regular humans can. <laughs> that is not a threat. That is that is somebody that's not as good as we are, but a, 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 an unstoppable force. That's what I think of when I think of zombies. And these guys were not, I mean, you know, they have strength in numbers in a way, but still, the way that they are outmaneuvered time and again in this mall by these four people, I mean, it's uh, it's pretty underwhelming. And I honestly, it's not like I have vivid memories of the Snyder version uh, because, I mean, I saw it once a long time ago, but I remember feeling like there was a little more danger in, in that one. And this one, they have time to hang out at this mall and do whatever they want. <laughs> once they manage to close the doors, that's it. <laughs> They're well, good. Also, you know, spoiler alert, we lose one of these characters here coming up. And then it seems like months pass because we learn pretty soon into the settling in, as you said, that Francine is pregnant. She's a couple months along. In a very weird moment, Ken Faree <laughs> asks, "Do you want to do you want to abort it? Because I know how." And it, <laughs> Never gets picked up again. <laughs> no, they, they just throw it out there naked and leave it there. Give me that backstory. I need to know what your grandfather said about hell. I want to know how you know about, are you a practicing abortionist? <laughs> I, I really like how Roger was said, uh, are you talking about shmushmortion? <laughs> you know, even back in the 70s, I think that you, we knew better than to just depict the one female character in the movie the way that uh, this poor journalist is depicted here. Uh, they try to give her a moment where she... She stands her ground, right? Because uh, basically, most of the movie is her holed up in the in the attic, the, the, the top floor of the mall, while the three guys go and have adventures and bond. <laughs> and then they come back and tell her like what what else has happened. And at some point, she's like, "You know what? I I am also part of this team. I want to have a voice. I will not be hen mother." But then she spends the rest of the movie being head mother anyway. She takes care of the injured and she just kind of frets about them. She doesn't really get to do much. It's it's pretty underwhelming. I, I understand now. I can see how Snyder felt the need to correct that by making Sarah Polly the lead in the in the remake. She is woman here, her roar. I mean, what do we need to talk about here, Julio? The they stock up on supplies, they shoot some zombies, they have they take up like hobbies while they're in there we get some uh they get some tv set up so we get like explanatory broadcasts about what's going on and how to kill these things and what's going to need to be done to eradicate the problem yeah it looks like an like the set of saturday night live or something where they're conducting those interviews um well we see we see a friendship developing i guess alex that's we're supposed to I, I didn't feel it, but I guess we're supposed to feel the pain when we lose Roger because of the way it affects Ken Free, right? Like that's these guys met at the beginning of the movie and then they seem to become buddies. Like uh, Ken Free and Roger, they're the they have each other the same way that Flyboy, the the helicopter pilot, has Blondie, the the, the reporter. You know, they're a couple. They're about to have a kid, and meanwhile, Ken Free has Roger, and they're both. Uh, pretty excited to be having fun with zombies. It, it really seems like they're having a good time once they get to the mall. So then when, when eventually Roger uh, gets bitten and, and and dies, like I felt like that was supposed to be a, a pretty big turning point for the Ken Free character, but it doesn't really look like he cares that much. Did you feel like there was a true connection or did you feel like I did that, that 
Ken Free had Ray moved on. Well, I think that whole sequence in which he gets bit, Ken Free's moving on during it because he's like, this guy's a fucking moron. He's like, he, le- <laughs> he left his bag behind. Now we got to go back and get it. It does lead, though, to get him like supplies. I forget where they need to go. We get some fun with Roger like in his last few days. You know, they know he's going to die and uh, or they're pretty confident of it, I should say. And we get that part where like they have to go somewhere for supplies, but he's immobile. So they use the car that's like in the mall, like the sweepstakes car, which is that's day one GTA Vice City shit right there, man. When you went to the mall in Vice City and stole the car, <laughs> that brought me some joy. Uh, but yeah, he gets over pretty quick and he knows what's going to happen because he's the one that does the job. He knows when he's going. There's that scene where he's like talking and his brain is obviously betraying him and he can't really form thoughts anymore. And then Ken Faree watches him change, and, and it's not a Deftones song. It definitely feels like like Roger was a lot more invested in this friendship. He keeps talking to him as, as he's fading away, and Ken Faree is like, all right, yeah, can we can we get it over with? And then he finally puts a bullet in his brain. Awesome sequence of him like sitting up and the sheet falling off his head, and then Ken Faree. He, he should have talked some shit. He'd be like, come and get me, boy, or something like that, but then he just <laughs> shoots him in the head. And he's like, Flyboy, you're next. They start storing the dead in like the walk-in freezer of the restaurant because they're going to start to smell. Uh, there's a sequence where they go to the bank in the mall and just take all the money because they're like, you never know. And then we get, I think it's the second time in the movie we get a montage of all of them like shopping throughout the mall. And you already mentioned this, when hell is full, the dead will walk the earth. You know, Ken Faree was in the Zack Snyder one and said that line. Do you remember that? He's on TV, right? Yeah, he's like a, an evangelist, like... Where yeah. are you going to go? I mean, I'm good for him. I, I think it's telling that they, they didn't bring anybody else. As I mentioned, it seems time goes by because in our next set of scenes, uh, Francine is noticeably more pregnant and they have like a whole living room house set up now. And the broadcasts have ended, so it's not looking good. Are they a throuple at this point, Alex? Ooh, I don't know. That's a more fun. That's a more fun movie than what we got. I I mean, I was curious because, like I said, there was there was a time at the beginning of this where there were two couples, but now Roger's gone. So what's Ken Free doing? Well, uh, while Flyboy and and Blondie are trying to have sex, he just goes for a walk. He goes to the movie theater in the mall and watches the Buddy Holly story. He's seen that movie about 50 times at this point, and he really thinks that Gary Busey should have won the Academy Award for it. That's what he does during that time. He cries every time. He does, even though he knows what's coming. (laughs) Uh, Had Martin already happened by now, or is that his next movie, Romero's next movie? Martin was before this. Martin was 77. Okay. Oh, man, that would be two on the nose. That'd be... The scene in uh, Green Inferno where Sky Fierra's character is listening to Sky Fierra's music. <laughs> but the best part would be that it, it, maybe he would recognize Savini from Martin. <laughs> hey, man, you got a goatee now. <laughs> Son of a bitch. I got trucks blocking all the entrances. Look at that. Yeah, trucks. No sweat. Well, what do you think? Go hit him now or tonight? So yeah, Tom Savini shows up and he's with this gang of like bikers and scavengers. I, I guess they would be pirates of this particular situation. They're the wild hogs of the 70s. 
<laughs> a nomadic biker gang sees the helicopter in flight and breaks into the mall, destroying the barriers and allowing hundreds of zombies back inside. Despite having a fallback plan, should the mall be attacked, Stephen, consumed by territorial rage over the mall, selfishly <laughs> fires on the looters, beginning a protracted battle. This takes forever, and it also is very oddly toned when the yep. biker gang get in there and the score is just kind of like do 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 and it's them stealing a bunch of shit and there's like the slapstick nature of them pickpocketing the zombies mm -hmm. and stealing the zombies jewelry and then they get these pies from the restaurant and start yep. pieing the zombies <laughs> what's going on alex what happened <laughs> What happened to my zombie movie? One of my favorite things that happens in this entire movie is when they first get to the mall, Ken Faree runs through a horde of zombies and is like punching him in the face. I was like, hell yeah. And now we're just throwing pies at them. Like it's Bozo the clown. I always get the feeling that you've kind of given up on your story, on your zombie story, when the zombies stop being the threat. The idea that the commentary of like, oh, well, humans are the real threat. That is not, that stopped being fresh way before Romero even tried it in, in this movie. And Dude, so one of these biker gang members literally does a Tarzan swing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like he had the zombies and it's like he ran out of ideas about how to use the zombies as the antagonists on the third act. So, oh, well, I guess we're bringing in these bikers and then I don't even know what to do with them. So it's just going to be a comedy by now. God, this takes forever. Like this guy, this biker that for some godforsaken reason sticks his hand on the thing that uh, the machine that that measures your your pressure. You know what I'm talking about? Like the yeah. the and uh, uh, blood pressure. It's uh, goes yeah, around your bicep. Why does he do that? <laughs> <laughs> he's surrounded by zombies and he's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna see what my blood pressure is like and then he gets torn apart yeah this is this is where the the fat of the movie is this and then probably the beginning too like the and then also the middle yeah i mean this whole movie it's gonna been 30 minutes but this is the one where it just goes on forever it uh I, my note literally says it's dead alive again just Ooh. that 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 sequence of Okay, we're going to have this gag, and then this gag, and then this gag, and you just become numb to it. It's like, yeah, I get that the gore is funny and that, that this can be ingenious, but trust me, it was a lot more fun for you to make it as opposed to me just watching it and watching it in succession, like one after the other. By the fifth time I see Tom Savini chop someone's head off, I don't care. I've seen it already, and it, I don't even care that much about the people. Like Flyboy, uh, I'm glad that you explained that it was something territorial because I definitely didn't get it from the fact that he was saying, this was ours. This is ours <laughs> when he's defending them all. It's just so dumb. So that was basically the ceiling for zombie movies on the Contrarian's main timeline. And now Dawn of the Dead is the question <laughs> becomes, does it raise it or lower the ceiling? It's, it flatlines it. It just looks at where it is and it's like, ah, we're just going to keep doing the same thing. It goes up to the ceiling and when it hits it, it just gives up and it's like, eh, whatever. <laughs> it, it rolls over and takes a nap. Uh, were you surprised slash disappointed that Savini dies in the middle of this? He's not even the final boss. Uh, he says a line that's fairly racist, so I was glad that Ken Faree <laughs> blasted his ass to hell. <laughs> 
Fair enough. Fair enough. He I, shoots him, and then Savini, like you, he gets shot, and then takes a massive bump off the because he's on the second floor, and he's like, ah, you don't see him <laughs> landing, but you know it's no good. That basically leads to the entire biker gang being literally devoured by these zombies. We, we mentioned the guy who gets ripped apart at the blood pressure test, but then one of the guys who has a swastika on his uh, biker jacket, so good, he gets literally his insides ripped out of him. Oh yeah, that's right. Right, they they let him back to make sure the camera gets a good shot, and then they pull the intestines out of his stomach. It's uh, completely unnecessary. Now the entire time, Flyboy and and Ken Free are sniping people. The entire time, Francine is just upstairs pacing back and forth, <laughs> wondering how the boys are doing, getting dinner ready, I guess, keeping an eye on the laundry. God, she has guns. I mean, they could have made her part of the action. So Flyboy gets shot by the biker gang. It's it's one of the coolest practical effects in the whole movie. He gets shot up through the arm. It looks absolutely fantastic. Uh, and is eventually mauled by some zombies. When he comes back to life, he instinctively goes back to the safe room, but he, all these zombies follow him there. And so uh, Francine and Peter are trying to you know forge their escape. He kills Steven. Shoots him in the head. We get a big buckshot of fucking fake blood behind him. Uh, but then Peter's like, I don't want to go. I guess he's given up on the world, which, you know, fair play to him. Throws a tantrum. And, and so Francine escapes to the helicopter. She waits there just in case, you know, Peter's going to come back. Peter, eh, the walls are closing in on him metaphorically, and the zombies are closing in on him literally. And he has a gun to his head. But before he pulls the trigger, he turns it on the zombies and opens up a can of whoop ass, gets to the roof. <laughs> He needs to get to the helicopter to, for their getaway. I'm not making this up. Ken Fury literally crane kicks this one zombie to get it out of the way. So why why did he wait till the last minute, Alex? Because he wants to live. Won't right, you but- let him live, Julio? <laughs> why couldn't he make that decision? You know, when Francine was there, so they could have gone together. Living to or dying is a pretty cut and dry. You'd think he would be like, well, it would take about two <laughs> seconds. You know what the thing is? Again, yeah, we love Kim Free, but I don't think that he sold this moment in a way that that made me really understand what was going on with his character. Because it's one thing if I see that he changes his mind out of fear, right? Like it's one thing to say I'm a badass and I'm gonna shoot myself in the head before the zombies get me, and then the moment comes where you need to shoot yourself in the head and you're like, oh, I don't know that I can do this. <laughs> and then you run away. But instead, what they do is. He decides to fight them. And I was like, well, you could have fought them at any point. I I just didn't get it. I mean, it just it just felt like fake stakes. You know, just for the sake of suspense, Romero stretched out this moment. And and I was I guess the problem is that I was perfectly fine with him killing himself. I, I did buy it. That that was a moment where I'm like, okay, he had to shoot Roger, then he had to shoot Flyboy. He's had enough. He's like, I'm gonna put an end to it here before I have to shoot Francine. So that made sense. And then the turn, him changing his mind, that didn't make sense. And that was that was a disappointment because I really I was thinking that all the campiness of the third act could be redeemed if we had this really grim ending where everybody dies except for the one pregnant woman that obviously is not gonna make it because she was not able to to do anything in the previous two hours of movie. So th- there's no way that she can make it uh, by herself. But no, instead, the movie ends with her and, and Kim Foree. So, you know, she's going to be okay because Kim Foree is going to keep protecting her the way that he did the entire movie. He asks, how much fuel do we have? She says, not much. Then what's the last line? He's like, okay. He just says something like that. <laughs> that's the end of the movie. 
<laughs> the, the the way that he delivers that okay could speak volumes i think there's like the brave okay and then you just go into the distance and you're like okay or it can be the asshole like okay <laughs> like okay thank you for thanks for nothing <laughs> we're gonna die anyway how much fuel do we have not much all right is this a Dark Knight Rises moment, Alex? We've had a few of those recently. Do you think that they make it? Well, what this movie does with its closing credits is dramatically different than what Zack Snyder did. Do you remember how that one ends? Oh, yeah. You, you get to see them. There's no ambiguity there. No, Ving Rhames doesn't make it. It's Rhames, right? Rhames and, and Sarah Pauly at the end? Yes, yes. So, yeah, this is kind of like left to your interpretation. I'm sure at this point, most people had walked out of the theater having never seen this like level of uh, vibrant gore before. It did bother me, Ken, for he got second billing. I understand contracts and shit like that. That's why you have agents. But like he, this was his movie, man. I mean, he doesn't show up for 30 minutes. Alex. <laughs> yeah, but he becomes the lead immediately when he shows up. And it's it's not that long. Uh, Savini doesn't show up until we're 100 minutes in. That's what bothered me. <laughs> Needed more of it. It's weird. It's 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 just weird to watch this movie and feel that it's taking forever to do something that Zack Snyder does in an hour and 40 minutes. It sounds like a bad joke, but it's it's true. It's reality. <laughs> I, I looked it up and was like, no, it, somehow Zack Snyder, who is known for being one of the most self-indulgent... Uh, filmmakers, the movies that have really bloated runtimes. He's someone that uh, Judd Apatow looks at and said, now there's an artist. (laughs) Yes, now that's filmmaking. Uh, Somehow he managed to really condense what what could be good about Romero's Dawn of the Dead and and deliver something that was punchy and was well executed and just got in and out. When you have had that experience, you watch this original and it's like, my God, can we just keep moving? I get it. They're in the mall and they're having fun. America sucks. Okay. Next. Capitalism. You know what? It makes the world go around. <laughs> Join our patron. <laughs> One dollar can bring you happiness. <laughs> and to make sure our Dawn of the Dead aficionado aren't yelling at us, uh, it's all right. It's not okay that Ken Fury says. How much fuel do we have? Not much. All right. <laughs> we we had the inflection right, but I know myself personally, if I was listening to something and they were talking about Pulp Fiction and they were like, he kept this watch up his butt. I'm like, nope, that's not what he says. He <laughs> says up his ass. Uh, man, it's a little harder to have like the asshole-ish all right. Like, okay, it was a little easier. All right is more like enthusiastic. She's like... <laughs> How much fuel do we have? Oh, not much. All right. Like, all right, fuck it. Let's do it. Oh, well. Great, Scott. <laughs> let's talk seriously about this movie, Alex. Let's let's go to real talk. There's much to discuss, so let's move this along. 